I'm, I'm looking for Michael. Where is Michael? I need to have eye contact. Okay. Uh, ordinations are a little odd if you've not been to one before, and they're much like a, a wedding ceremony uh, in that anything that someone like me says, they say directly to the candidate who happens to be Michael. So I apologize, you're simply going to overhear uh, what I'm going to say to him, and uh, if you have a Bible and you want to follow what I'm about to say, come over to John chapter 3. Michael chose this text of all the ones that I suggested to him. This is the one he chose, and we're going to look at verse uh, John chapter 3, a very familiar chapter to a lot of you. We're going to look at verse 25 through 30. Michael, I put a label on this. I want to call this, this is going to sound academic. It's not. I labeled this the joy of smallness. This is going to sound harsh and I don't mean it to. Everyone here is guilty at some point in their life of pride. But the issue becomes not the presence of pride, it's the acknowledgement, it's the admittance, it's the confession of pride that most people will never come to. Now there are exceptions, of course, and I suppose that is why I'm drawn to John chapter 3. Here's the context, and then I'll read this passage. Uh, These are John the Baptist's last recorded words regarding Jesus and his relationship with Jesus. I wouldn't die over this, but I think it's about 30 AD. I believe in my own study that it's just west of the Jordan River in what we would call the city of Palms, the city of Jericho. And if you're looking at the NIV, all of you, if you're looking at the NIV, I want you to notice this word argument. You won't hear it in my text. My English Standard Version uses a different word. But that word becomes the centering word for what I want to talk about. In John chapter 3, verse 25, in my translation, it says a discussion arose. The NIV says an argument came about. And that word for discussion is the word for questioning things, for uh, searching and seeking answers in the context of perplexity. You're trying to sort things out. Now, we don't know, Michael, what the details of this dispute were. John's baptism versus... The the person who's arguing isn't even named here. He's just called a Jew. So it's John's baptism versus uh, an argument, a questioning, a perplexity about purification rites. But what surfaces isn't any of that. What surfaces is the competition between... John's disciples and the Jesus crowd. So here's our text. John chapter 3 verse 25. 
Now discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, John the Baptist answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And this is the line you love. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must grow greater. Literally, the text says that. He must grow, and I must be reduced. You know, over our breakfasts, Michael, I've talked a lot yapped a lot about C.S. Lewis and how much I like his writings. And in his classic work, Mere Christianity, he calls pride, I'm quoting Lewis, the great sin. He says, I'm quoting him, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. In this passage, John chapter 3, 25 through 30, John the Baptist, this intrigues me, makes four non-prideful declarations. Verse 27, he says, I'm content. I'm translating this for you. I'm content. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be in this ministry. The second non-prideful declaration he makes is in verse 28. He says, I am a second seat guy. I'm the Messiah's point man. Third, in verse 29, he says, he uses a different metaphor, a different image. I love this one. He says, I'm his best man. And then finally in verse 30, the text you love so much, He says, I just know this one thing, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Now, Michael, pride has a way of mucking all of that up in ministry, of not being content, not being the point man, not being the best man, not decreasing in the spotlight. C.S. Lewis again raised this key pride question. He said in that same chapter, he said, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take any notice of me or shove their oar in my business or patronize me or show off in front of me? This passage, John chapter 3, tells me that there were seeds of jealousy growing among John the Baptist's team among his Apprentices. You hear it, right, in the text? Competition. Jesus is drawing greater numbers, and because of that, the, the, the real issue becomes the issue of envy, of, of jealousy, of pride seeping into the Baptist's camp. He must increase, I must decrease. Now, there's a little side note here, and then I'm going to get real practical. There's a little side note here. There is nothing wrong with being praised, right, Warren, as a preacher or a pastor. 
Nothing wrong with somebody saying on the way out of the building, wow, that, that blessed me, thank you. That was well done. Thank you for studying that text. There isn't anything wrong with finding pleasure and being praised to hear well done. But praise is a lot like perfume. There's nothing wrong with it as long as you don't swallow it. If you swallow it, it's deadly. He must increase, John said. So let me get practical, Michael, and I'll be done. There are three dangers that I want to highlight. Forgive me for being emotional here. Three dangers every pastor, preacher must watch out for that go beyond the traditional ones the church has identified as money, sex, and power. There are three specifically toward pastor, preacher, ministers that I want to highlight. Here's danger one. The danger of stealing the glory that is rightfully Jesus. The danger of stealing the glory that's rightfully his. Over our many breakfasts, I think we've talked about my mom a couple of times. My mom's currency, what she valued, her economic system included three things. The first one was be loyal to people. Don't abandon people. Even when they screw up, be loyal. The second thing she always highlighted, and boy did us, the, the seven kids, all worked in her camp. She, her second uh, currency was work hard. You, if you were going to be a part of our family, you better get with it and get up when she asked you the first time. Work hard. But it's the third one that fits this text. Mom was huge on staying humble. Be humble. She told us that over and over again. As a matter of fact, I always felt like I was her target. She would say over and over again to me, don't get bigger than your britches. And she would often say it with emphasis on my chest. <laughs> let all, to say it positively, let all the glory go to Jesus. Michael, you know this theologically. Only he is all supreme and all sufficient. Only he is. Danger one, the danger of stealing the glory that is rightfully his and his alone. Danger two, the danger of failing to remember who you truly are. Sinner saved by grace. A failure to remember who you are. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. It's interesting in this text. I promise not to go off on a caveat here, but it's intriguing in this little paragraph here. He, John draws on that wonderful word witness twice. It's that little word, you know it from your Greek New Testament, martyreo. We translate it witness, but it came to mean someone who was martyred for their faith. Here in this text, it's a courtroom word. It's a word that literally means to stand and tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth in the context, the truth about Jesus. So can I just hit this hard? It's easy in ministry to fabricate a false self. Remember who you are. Don't forget it. Here's the third danger. The danger of playing the comparison game. The danger of playing the comparison game. That's at the heart of this little paragraph you like. 
There will always be someone who, for reasons sometimes beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension, there's some mystery in this, there will always be some, someone more gifted in their preaching, someone with a, a larger church, someone with, with more attention, someone who, is, uh, who writes a better tweet, uh, someone who's, who's a better blogger, S- someone who does a better podcast. I'm asking you tonight, decide in your own heart that you're going to kill that comparison demon. Slay that demon. I have a quote that I, I don't know who to give credit to, but I love this, and I wrote it in my Bible. Quote, play great parts without pride and small parts without shame. Remember what I entitled this? The joy of smallness. He must increase and I must decrease. Michael, I nearly talked myself out of this, but I'm going to just be entirely transparent with you. Forty-six years ago, not far from here, I was serving the Ashland Church of Christ as a youth pastor. I had no business being their youth pastor. I actually disliked most of the kids. But I was their pastor. And it was Sunday night. I had completed my teaching that evening. And uh, Sue and I were married. We'd only been married a couple of months. And we were driving, getting ready to drive back to Lincoln. And before we left, we were meeting in my office with the kiddos. And we were saying our goodbyes. And one of them challenged me. He said, uh, we've got a gauntlet that we run here at the church. And our times are blah, 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 blah. They were hooking me in, challenging me on whether or not I could beat their times. This is a no-no. I recognize that, but I yielded to it. There was an event that ran from my office down the first flight of steps. You took a left-hand turn, went down another flight of steps, ran under the Sunday school area just uh, below where the worship center was, came out another flight of steps, came through the auditorium, and then back to my office. Now, what they didn't tell me once they suckered me in because I said I can do this to myself, I'm making eye contact with my beloved wife, and she's given me that look that she's given me for the last 46 years. Don't do it. But I yielded. Now, what they didn't tell me was this race was run in darkness. They shut off the lights. But I thought in my arrogance, I got this. Somebody said, go. I went down that first flight of steps, no problem. Made that turn, second flight, went under, just about getting in where the Sunday school classrooms were, only to run directly into that block wall. I cut my eyebrow. I broke my glasses. I literally saw stars. I wobbled up the steps only to see the first eyes that I did not want to see, my wife's. (laughs) I I learned a lifelong lesson that I've had to relearn again and again and again, even after all these years. Listen to how I say it, Michael. There is joy in getting smaller and letting Jesus get bigger. All I'm asking is you go do that. 
Let him increase and you decrease. And John called that joy. Joy. 